Jesus, for your presence in this place. Thank you again. We're together here. It is a joy to be together. It is a joy to sing your praise and to thank you for your goodness. Thank you. You never leave us. You never forsake us. We say it all the time because it's our life experience. You're always there. We are under your care, your loving care. We want to thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Life is not always easy. <laughs> Sometimes it's very hard. But, Lord, you are there with us, holding our hand, lifting our head up to face another day. Take us on through. We praise your wonderful name as your people. We have so many wonderful testimonies when we look back and see your goodness, your faithfulness, your strength in leading us. We truly do want to thank you today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's thank our musicians. Let's give Jesus a praise in this place. Wonderful to be together today. And we're continuing in this series of messages that we're calling Rethinking Your Life. That's what we're focusing on again this morning. And um, as I was just preparing this morning and just praying about this service, I really sensed the Holy Spirit say to me that He wanted to encourage us just with a word to our hearts to make room for the new. That's what he said. I want to encourage my people, each and every one of them, to make room for the new. A new level of peace is coming. A new dimension of joy in your heart and life experience is about to hit. New levels of God's grace, new levels of God's favor is about to be downloaded. God wants you, by His Spirit, to make room to be ready for the new. New things are going to happen. Some of us here, many of us may be here this morning, and we're at a place in our lives where we don't, we don't love ourselves there's, there's too much in our lives not to like when we look at it and when we look back on it. And the Holy Spirit wants to really encourage you this morning. You don't love your life anymore. The older the, you grow, the more you see that you cannot do, and you don't love the unfolding picture of your life. Well, God wants to come with His Word right into that solitary place in your life and declare this, Romans 8, Paul said it, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You may not love yourself, but I'm telling you, when God looks at you, there's joy in His heart, you are accepted in His presence, and never ever fall for those lies of the enemy that tell you that your life is like an unlovely, unfolding 
picture. No, it's not. You are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. It's progressing. It's enlarging. It's growing as every moment passes. His handiwork, His handiwork, you are. You might not, you might not love your life. And I know how you feel because there's been many times in my life when I've looked at my life and at my soul and at the state of my mind and the way that I think and the things that I fear. And I felt that it's not been much of a lovely picture. But oh, in those times where we feel downcast, when we feel low, when we feel weak, it's in those moments that we experience the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's comfort, Holy Spirit's counsel. It's in those times that seem darkest, in those valley-like experience, that God comes with a fresh wave and a fresh sense of His goodness. He wants you to know that He loves you and your security in knowing that He loves you, you can go forward in life. And I tell you, He'll change the picture that you hold in your mind. He'll change the picture that you hold in your soul, and you'll begin to see yourself as God sees you in Christ Jesus. A beautiful picture, a wonderful work, a glorious person we are being conformed to. You'll love yourself by the time that by the time God finishes finishes with you. You'll love the work that he's, that he's doing and unfolding in your life. You'll not be disappointed anymore by his goodness. You'll see it as a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you'll learn from his vantage point to love your life and the work that he is doing in it. You know. Sometimes life can be very, very cluttered. We pick up this and we pick up that. And almost to the point that God, it seems, has no place. There's no room left for God in our lives. How can God do a new thing where my life is so cluttered with unimportant things? Well, God doesn't need much space. That's what he told me this morning. He doesn't need much space in your life. Only enough space for the size of a new seed. He's going to plant some new seeds in your life. In amidst all of the clutter, in amidst all of the unimportant stuff that our lives have collected over the years, He's going to sort all that out by planting just a little seed that seems so insignificant insignificant, that seems so minute. But I tell you, don't ever underestimate the power of this seed by its size. Its size does not in any way indicate the power of its potential. This seed that God is going to plant in your heart, let me tell you in what form it's going to come. It's going to come in the form of a new thought. Just one new thought is going to bring great deliverance. Just one new thought is going to set your life in a brand new direction. Just one new thought from God, empowering it and authoring it, is going to create 
enlargement and abundance and fruitfulness and fulfillment in your life. You are but one new thought away from great fruitfulness. And it's going to come in the size of a small insignificant seed. The sower is sowing this morning. The sower is out casting his seed and it's going into your heart. Good seed, Jesus said, when good soil, he's been working the soil of your heart for a long time now, getting it ready, <laughs> plowing it up with circumstance, uncovering it, ready to receive. You're ready to receive this morning and on from this morning. You're ready to receive. Why? Because the soil has been broken up. The fallow, matted down ground has been opened and God has used all manner of things to open up and cut open that soil. And the purpose is for him to just sow this insignificant seed that many would despise, that many would discard. Because when they look at the size of it, it seems as nothing to them, but not to the people of God. Oh no, we know that the seed of his word is powerful. And when it's sown into the good soil of our heart, Jesus said, it produces 30, 60, even 100 times beyond that original seed. Let's live ready. Let's live expectant. Let's live open. It's going to come, that little seed. To some of you, it's just going to be that little spoken word. Do not worry. I tell you, it's going to be spoken into your word and activated in your life. And you're going to be amazed at the fruitfulness and the dimension of that word of power in your life as it unpacks itself, as it begins to grow and break through the soil of your life. It's going to shed and break forth and scatter everything in its way as it grows. You're not going to have a care in the world. You might be carrying the cares of the world, the cares of the life, uh, cares of life like we all do at times today. But God's going to speak a word. Do not worry. And it's going to impregnate the very DNA of your spirit and its outgrowth and its outflow of your in your life. It's going to mean that you're not going to worry anymore. You're not going to be concerned about anything because there's going to be a fresh connection with your Father in heaven. Such a depth, such an intimacy, such a reliance and a trust on your Father in heaven that every care on earth you'll understand is taken care of by His hand. You're not going to have a worry in the world. Some of you, it's going to be, it's going to come, it's going to hit you. Fear not, for I am with you. You're not going to have a fear. You're not, your mind is not going to be on fire with all of these different fears and all of these different anxieties in the days to come. Because of the seed of God's word in the soil of your heart, it's going to produce great fruit. We could go through many, many different things. Healing. Personal victory. Where you're continually defeated and disappointed by your life. The word of God. Not self-strength. 
Not, not a decision that can't be backed with power. No, the very Word of God is going to empower you. You're going to be victorious over temptation, over trials and testings of different kinds because the Word of God is going to find good soil. It's going to be planted. It's going to grow and it's going to bear fruit in your life. Make room for the new. Just be open. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Just be open, expectant, and ready to receive His Word to you. Amen. And go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read it more than you've ever done. Be captured by all of the 7,000 or more promises that are laid there open for you to take hold of, all with a yes and an amen behind them. Let's be those that take hold of the Word of God. Be so expectant, be so excited when we read it. Fill our lives with it. Like Paul said, let it dwell within you richly, church. Don't let all the news feeds dwell within you richly so that you can recite them word for word. Or, you know, all of the other various forms of media that are trying to capture our attention and, and get into our heart and our mind. No, let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. In all of its admonishing, in all of its address, in all of its correction, let it do its thing. Let's be those who make room for the new that God wants to do in us. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to look at a moment when God challenged His people to rethink the way they were living. To rethink their future, to rethink their present because they were in a place where they didn't love themselves. They were in a critical place of life where there was no hope left for them, it seemed. But God came and challenged them to rethink where they were. And He did this by bringing a brand new thought into their hearts and into their minds. Just like sowing a seed. God was calling them to make room in their lives for His Word. God was calling them to make room in their lives for a new way to live. A new future. To walk towards. When we look at God's people in Isaiah chapter 54, we see that they were stuck in a deep mental rut. They had a rutted mindset that had taken over 70 years to create. 
Imagine that. We think we've got problems. God's people had developed a mental condition. They'd fallen into a mental rut that, had create, that they had created over 70 years. But into that mental rut, into that darkness, into that place of barrenness in which they lived, God spoke and he sowed his word in the form of a brand new thought that would lead them into a new life experience and break them from the rut that they were in. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to live in prolonged experiences where problems seem to loom over us. We have no power to go beyond them. We have no control to go around them, and they seem immovable and stubborn. Sometimes we battle in our mind, in our thinking, with patterns that we can't break free from. And this is where God's people were. But God came to them, and the answer was not in something spectacular. The answer was in the sowing of a seed. The answer was in a directive that God wanted them to obey that would have great significance in their future. Just one new thought from God would lift them from their despondency, would lift them from their despair, would lift them from their barren state of life. And very often it's like that with our lives. Just one new thought from God can take us from weakness to strength, from fear to new faith, from sadness to pain, from joy or from depression into joy and excitement. One new thought from God can do it. You see, if God can sow one new thought into the heart of a nation, into the heart of a people that had a negative mindset that had developed over 70 years. He can sow a new thought, a new word into your life that can break you free from any life pattern that is damaging, from any life pattern that has its hold on you. From any life pattern that's trying to lead you away from God's wonderful plan in Christ Jesus for you. God can break us free. Just one word will do it. Just one new thought. That's all. Received into a heart of faith will set us on course with everything that God has planned for us. In Isaiah 54, God's people had become barren. Barren of hope, barren of life, barren of any new expectation. They were unproductive, unfruitful, plagued by hurts, past failure, crippling fear, no hope for the future. They'd lost expectation and excitement of anything good ever happening to them. And genuinely, they believed. And you see this as you read Isaiah chapter four, uh, 54. Genuinely, they believed 
that they had been forsaken by God. They really did believe that. When they looked at their lives, they looked at what they'd been through, they looked at all of their collected experiences together, it communicated a message. God has forsaken you. God has forgotten you. Sometimes we look at our experiences, we look at the, the bare evidence of circumstance before us, and the message over it and the message to us is forsaken, forgotten. The background behind Isaiah 54 is that God's people had been exiled in Babylon for 70 years. Imagine this for a moment. For many of them, that's all they'd ever known. They'd been born in Babylon. They had no recollection of anything else because there wasn't anything else. They were broken. No hope, no future. And their homeland was thousands of miles away. Seventy or so years before, it had been completely destroyed. Jerusalem, that glorious city that represented everything of the living God, lay in ruins. Her walls were down, thrown down like a pile of rubbish. Her temple was broken apart and destroyed. And all evidence of a great city that God had called them to build was no more. It had been reduced to rubble. These people were at the lowest point possibly in their history. You look at the history of God's people, Israel. My goodness. And Paul and Hillary can tell us more about this, but you look at the history of God's people. How many times have they been ejected from their land? How many times have this people been discarded? They should not be a nation. They defy all odds. The more you try to destroy them, the more they grow, the more prosperous they become. It's the strangest thing. It's a mysterious thing. Because God is behind them. God is at the center of them. God is all around them. You can't work it out. And Paul's often said, how is it that this people somewhere in the world are always every day at the center of somebody's headline? I tell you, we were just in the um, Israel encounter night just a few weeks ago. And Paul was talking about Jesus' return, and it struck me, right? Paul said, Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem. <laughs> this place that lay in ruin, this place that was a pile of rubble, this place that had been torn apart and lay as a wasteland by the Assyrians, 
This is where Jesus is going to return. And you know, it struck me when he said those words. You know, we've got all of these super cities in the world. You go on, go on Google and type in 10 super cities in the world. Do you know what? Jerusalem is not on the list. You'll have New York. You'll have Tokyo. You'll have Hong Kong. You'll, you'll, you'll have Cumbran. Pontypool. Maybe it'll be up there. You'll, you'll have all of these super cities. Dubai. All of these glamorous works of man. All at the top of the list. Jerusalem's at the bottom. But I'll tell you something now. Jesus is not coming back to New York. He's not coming back to Tokyo. He's not coming back to Dubai or any city built by man. He's coming back to the city that is built by God, to a people that have an everlasting covenant with God, a people that have been through every type of humiliation under the, under the heaven. But God, God's hand is on them as a result of his covenant to Abraham. Hallelujah. In you, all the family, families of the earth shall be blessed. Tell you. And you can't rub that out. But come back a moment. These people were in a terrible condition. At that point in their lives, they were coming back from that experience of exile in Babylon and they were walking towards a derelict city that once had glory but now was covered with shame. In Judah's darkest, lowest moment after 70 years of being in a barren state, God does something remarkable. He does something incredible, which we would never dare do. But God goes ahead and does it because he loves his people. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 54, verse 1. And keep in your mind the disheveled state that these people were in. This is the opening line. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Now, whenever I read that opening line of Isaiah 54, Verse 1, it amazes me because God comes with a strong command to his people, a strong command, a new directive to bring them out of their barren state, to bring them out of their unproductive, unfruitful way of living. God comes with a positive command to an impoverished people and he speaks life a new song into the most desperate of situations. This is what God does. This is what only God can do. 
doesn't ask Judah how you're doing. How you feeling? He doesn't set a to-do list for them to outwork in order for recovery to be made. No. He commands them to sing. Their deliverance is in their new song. Their deliverance and their future is in a song that they have not been singing because they've been in a sorrowful state. They're barren, unfruitful, unproductive, dead of any hope. And God comes and he commands his people to sing. This is not some kind of painful game that God is playing, trying to rub salt in an open wound. No, God commands his people to sing because he knows and understands the future that he has set out for them. Just like Tarbo said this morning, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a great future. God is commanding his people to sing a new song because he knows exactly the future that he holds for them and what they are going to walk into. You know, if you put the facts on the table, singing really would have been the furthest thing from their minds. They were having to deal with deep sorrow, deep pain, sadness, and shame. And God's word could have easily have been seen and taken as an insult to infuriate the people. Because God was not going to pander to their pains. God was not going to pander to what they had been through. He wasn't going to have a conversation with them about their past. No, God was excited about their future. Their time in Babylon had ended. It was over. Now it was time to rebuild this wonderful city, this glorious city for all of the earth to see his work through them. God was excited. God was expectant. And that is why he commanded them to sing. Very often we want God to pander to our pains, hurts and wounds that we carry from the past that we want to take into our future, that we want him to sympathize with and sit down with us and talk about. But God, on occasions and not always, because he's a wonderful counselor and he will talk to us about some of the things that we carry in our heart. But sometimes God abruptly comes and makes a command. And that command causes you to evaluate where you are. That command causes you to evaluate whether you're going to respond to it in faith or whether you're going to back off in doubt. And that's what was happening with these people. He was commanding them and there was a reevaluation, a rethink of their life and experience. By commanding them to sing, they would have to change their language. Sometimes some of the things that are coming out of our mouth and what we hear our, our, ourselves say in our mind before we say it is an indication where our heart is. And by commanding these 
returning exiles to sing a brand new song of excitement and joy and great expectation, God knew that they would have to change their language. From that old drone of sorrow to a new song. From that deep sighing of pain to joy and expectation with great hope and faith. When you read verse 1, you see that it doesn't just end in a song. It progresses on. The song was to have great strength because God said to them, burst into song. But it progresses more as you read down through the verse. From singing to shouting. Sometimes we need to come in here ready to burst into song. And then we need to do some shouting. Break with the sorrow. Break with the silence. It's not part of the Christian life, the Christ life. It really isn't. And I don't, I'm not saying that directed at any of you. I'm saying it to me. Break with it, Dave. Break with the sorrow. Break with the silence. The Word of God tells me that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness, the oil of joy above his fellow man. How about having a bit of that? The oil of gladness all over your life. The oil of gladness soothing all of those open wounds in your soul until they are completely healed and there's no sign of them anymore. The oil of gladness, the oil of joy. Your mouth filled with laughter. Sorrow and sighing fleeing away. Full of the joy of the Lord. It can be our strength. It really can. But oh, how we languish through life sometimes. Oh, how we think that our suffering and our silence pleases God. It doesn't. It brings no glory to God. God wants His people to be the happiest people in all the world. He really does. Even in the trials, even in the difficulties, even in the most grueling circumstances to be aided with the joy of God in it all is a supernatural experience that he wants all of us to live in. Some of us are going to get some of that as we make room for him to do this new thing that he wants to do in our lives. The sorrow that's marked your life that you just thought you've got to grin and bear and carry through life. The silence. No. You're not going to be silent anymore. There's going to be a shout coming from your mouth. You're going to burst into song. <laughs> In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God was causing them in the song that they were going to sing to look beyond their present conditions 
and the past that they come from into a new future with fresh expectation. And as it captured them and as it, as it took root in them and as it began to grow in their hearts, there would be a shout within the people, a confidence in God that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Zig Ziglar, nice name, if you're expecting a baby. Zig, Zig Ziglar once said, it's your attitude in life that determines your altitude. Your attitude in life determines your altitude. Low attitude, low altitude. High attitude, high. High attitude, high altitude. And then he went on to say that in the cockpit of every plane, a pilot has an instrumentation board all around him. And one of the instruments on that panel is an attitude indicator. And that attitude indicator shows the pilot the attitude of the plane in relation to the oncoming horizon. If the nose of the plane dips, the attitude indicator will indicate that and it will show the pilot that he has to lift the nose of the plane above the oncoming horizon. If he doesn't, there's going to be a collision. There's going to be a crash. There's going to be fatalities. But if he keeps his eyes on that attitude indicator and lifts the nose of the plane above the oncoming horizon, the journey will prosper. And the plane won't have any collisions. Now, if you're flying a plane next week, for example, keep your eye on the attitude indicator. It's like that when we go out into life. When you walk every day with people, you've got to keep your eye on the attitude indicator. On the attitude indicator because it determines your altitude. The oncoming conflicts, the oncoming challenges of every day, and there are many. When people come your way and want to rub you up the wrong way, and they want the nose of your life to dip and detour into an argument, detour into conflict, detour into irrelevant things, it's then that you've got to adjust your attitude, keep the nose of your life above the oncoming horizon and move on through and avoid all of that stuff. God was very simply saying to his people, listen, we're going to lift the attitude of your life above that old horizon of barrenness above that old horizon of unfruitfulness, of unproductiveness. We're going to lift 
We're going to lift your attitude above all of that. I'm taking you to a new altitude in me. And it doesn't belong back in Babylon where you were exiled for 70 years. It belongs in the rebuilding, the reestablishing of my city. You're going to be a great nation again. And all your humiliation is going to be taken away. Listen to what God says to them in Isaiah 45, verse 2 to verse 5. He says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget your shame or the shame of your youth. And remember no more the reproach of your widowhood, for your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And, and Tabo said this this morning, so this is bang online here. God speaking to us, no weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. You. That is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is the, their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Can you imagine the effects of these words in the heart of this people that were barren? As they heard it for the first time, these words were a direct challenge now to action. Call to action. With great joy and expectancy and excitement. The imperatives of God's command to them were clear. And we're bringing this to a close right now. Clear commands. Clear directives. They could no longer now stay in their barren state. They were called to sing, burst into song, shout for great joy. And there were directives and actions that they were called by God to obey in order, in order to bring about this wonderful new future that God had for them. These were the imperatives. They're in the verses that we, we've just read. Sing, burst into song, shout for joy, enlarge, stretch, strengthen, spread out. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Remember no more. This was a new dimension of living that God was calling his people up into. And he was going to give them the power of his favor to live in it. Their decision to do what God had called them to do would set them on course and in line with the plan that he had called them to live. You look at that great nation today. He did what he said he would do. He really did. Doesn't matter how many times you kick that nation out of its country, God will always bring them back. 
They tried to wipe them out with a holocaust. And that failed because God, the God of all the earth, is their Lord and our Lord. The message to us, the message to us today is very simple. It really is. Let's allow His Word, whatever it might be, even though it may seem small, insignificant, and even in some respects, completely contrary to our circumstances, let's allow it to root into our lives and produce the fruit that He has created, created all of us to produce. I can ask the musicians to come. We're going to pray. We're going to go in just a moment. It would be a new decision, not their barren condition that would determine their destiny. A new decision to take hold of what God was saying to them. It would be that decision, not their condition, that would determine their destiny in life. As God speaks, as God seeds His Word into your heart, as new directive comes for your life, whatever it might be, do not fear, do not worry, do not be troubled in your heart, whatever it might be. A decision to follow that, not the condition of life that you've been in, a decision to follow that will determine your destiny in life. As they sang, they were acknowledging that God had spoken. And as they acted out the word that He'd commanded them to do, they were agreeing with what God had told them to do. Amen. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your people this morning. Lord, I thank you for what you've said to us. We've opened our hearts. We've read your word. For some of us today, you're calling us to come out of the silence that we've been living in, to leave the suffering that's almost become a part of our life experience, to sing a new song, to leave the suffering, to leave the silence behind and to sing a new song, to come into a new day. And for that song to generate a shout in our heart that glorifies you. Lord, for others of us today, you might be instructing us to enlarge our boundaries to enlarge our capacity, to stretch, to rise in new strength, to spread out, to stop confining and restricting and limiting our lives because we've been afraid. But you just gently call us out and say, do not be afraid, do not fear, 
Remember no more where you've been. Come on, you can do it. Lord, whatever it might be, however this word works its way out into our lives, you know. Lord, I pray that we'd come out into that enlarging experience. We'd come out with strength, with vigor, with life. And as we stretch and as we refuse to bow to the limitations of our fears and the constrictions of that life, Lord, we'll come out into everything that you've planned for us. New peace, new joy, new confidence, fresh expectation for a great future. Lord, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice and those watching online this morning as well. Holy Spirit, I pray as you have spoken into our hearts and as we go from this place today making room for what you want to do, the new that you want us to walk in, I pray that your favor would enable us and empower us to live the life that you have purposed for us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Come on, let's give God praise for his word this morning. We're going to sing just before we go. And let's lift up our song to him. Let's lift up a shout as we sing this morning. Come on, church. It's a new day. It's a new day.